Manchako, Patrupyascha, Kripasandupyacha, Patitanam, Pavanipyo, Vaishnavipyo, Namona Maha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desired trees who can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. And now we're going to have a look at the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 13 right where we left off last week. And we'll be discussing text number 23. Upadrashtanumanta cha parta bhukta maheshwara paramat meti chapyukto dehe smin purushapara upadrashta overseer Anumanta, permitter, cha, also, bharata, master, bhokta, supreme enjoyer, maha ishvara, the supreme lord, parama atma, the super soul, iti, also, cha, and api, indeed, ukta, is said, dehe, in the body, asmin, this, purusha, enjoyer, para, Transcendental. Upadrashtanumantacha harta bhukta maheshwara paramat me tichapyukto dehe smin purusha para. Yet in this body, there is another, a transcendental enjoyer who is the Lord, the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer and permitter, and who is known as the super soul and here's the purport it is stated here that the super soul who is always with the individual soul is the representation of the supreme lord he is not an ordinary living entity because the monist philosophers take the knower of the body to be one. They think that there is no difference between the super soul and the individual soul. To clarify this, the Lord says that he is represented as the paramatma in every body. He is different from the individual soul. He is para transcendental. The individual soul enjoys the activities of a particular field but the super soul is present not as finite enjoyer, nor as one taking part in bodily activities, but as the witness, overseer, permitter, and, and supreme enjoyer. His name is Paramatma, not Atma, and he is transcendental. It is distinctly clear that the Atma and Paramatma are different. The super soul, the Paramatma, has legs and hands everywhere, but the individual soul does not. And because the Paramatma is the Supreme Lord, he is present within to sanction the individual souls desiring material enjoyment. Without the sanction of the Supreme Soul, the individual soul cannot do anything. The individual is Bhukta, or the sustained, and the Lord is Bhokta, or the maintainer. There are innumerable living entities, and he is staying in them as a friend. The fact 
is that every individual living entity is eternally part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. And both of them are very intimately related as friends. But the living entity has the tendency to reject the sanction of the Supreme Lord and act independently in an attempt to dominate nature. And because he has this tendency, he is called the marginal energy of the Supreme Lord. The living entity can be situated either in the material energy or in the spiritual energy. As long as he is conditioned by the material energy, the Supreme Lord as his friend, the super soul, stays with him just to get him to return to the spiritual energy. The Lord is always eager to take him back to the spiritual energy, but due to his minute independence, the individual entity is continually rejecting the association of spiritual light. This misuse of independence is the cause of his material strife in the conditioned nature. The Lord, therefore, is always giving instruction from within and from without. From without, he gives instructions as stated in Bhagavad Gita, and from within, he tries to convince the living entity that his activities in the material field are not conducive to real happiness. Just give it up and turn your faith toward me. Then you will be happy, he says. Thus, the intelligent person who places his faith in the Paramatma or the Supreme Personality of God, it begins to advance toward a blissful eternal life of knowledge. Hare Krishna. This is a particularly sweet verse. We may be walking around absorbed in what we're going to do next and there's quite a bit of anxiety because we don't know exactly what's going to happen next and this is called the bini beshita in the case of being aware of something separate from the lord there is nothing separate from the lord that awareness of something separate or the conception that there is something separate is illusory and it causes fear. Bhayam dvitiya abhinibeshita syad. And I'm absorbed in that because I've forgotten my friend who's next to me out of his friendship. I'm a part of Krishna, as mentioned earlier in the Gita. I'm separate from matter, which is Krishna's inferior or bhinna separated energy aparemi tastonyam prakritim vidime param jiva bhuta mahabaho yayedam you'll find that in the seventh chapter of the gita krishna had listed has listed all the inferior material elements earth water fire air ether mind intelligence and ego and then then he says but you're not part of that so he calls it para prakriti. The living entity is so different in quantity from the Lord that the living entity, although conscious and is the same nature of the Lord as consciousness, is called para prakriti, whereas Krishna is called the paramatma, the supreme soul. We're more identified with the energy of the Lord. We are the energy of the Lord, but it's called superior energy, but we're not the Purusha. 
as was indicated in the verse that we read last week, Purusha Prakriti Stohi Bhunkte Prakriti Jan Gunan Karanam Gunasangosya Sarasad Yoni Janmasu. That verse that we read last week called us living entities, the Purusha. And the reason is, is because I'm trying to act as a Purusha. And to do that, I'm given a fool's paradise, a reflected world in which to enact my fantasies and try to be the dominator or controller. Said that Lord Brahma is in a slightly precarious situation because he has so much power. Prabhupada mentions this in the fourth can third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam that Brahma, who's right up there with Shiva and Vishnu, who are Ishwaras, Shiva Shiram Yatarad Vikara Vishesha Yogat Sanjayate Nehitata Pratagastiheto Yashambutam Apitatasamu Paiti Karyad Govindamadi Purusham Tamahambajami. Practically, he's God, but slightly different because of his station in taking part in the three modes of material nature. So he's like a lamp with carbon on it. A little bit transformed or like milk with some culture of yogurt in it. It's been transformed by some acid. But nonetheless, he's an Ishvar. And Vishnu is Vishnu Tattva. Shiva is his own Tattva. But Brahma is Jiva Tattva. Unless in some very rare cases, there's nobody qualified to be a Brahma. And Lord, Lord Vishnu takes the place. He, he plays that part. So as a Jiva... In the role of Lord Brahma, actually, he goes back to Mahavishnu after the destruction of the world and in his body. But then that jiva may become attached to controlling. Because when one takes on the role of a controller, one might start thinking that I am the controller. Not that I'm representing the controller. I'm, not, I'm forgetting that I'm an instrument. And this is a problem for the living entity. And Brahma can fall down from that position into the mire of material existence. And it's the, the living entity has a, a way of being inclined to fall down, prone to fall down or inclined. Inclined means in geometry that there's a slope. And just like if on a roof, you have these two inclines put together if you have a decent roof, that is. And then that's the way everything rolls off, including you. If you try to climb up, you have to really hold on tight. And so every station in the material world, whatever it may be, as mentioned in Bhagavatam, yene ravindaksha vamuktamaninas tvayastabhavada vashudha buddhaya aruya krishna paramparam tata patantyato nadrita yushmarangraya there's an inclination to the living entity anywhere except when one's in the uh, Leela with Krishna. From there, there's no inclination whatsoever to roll off into the material world. That has to be done by free choice, which the living entity always has. But the inclination or the being prone to rolling off is there everywhere, like in Brahman or 
uh, the highest position in the material world. What to speak of all kinds of other stations in this world. They all get old fast, don't they? Didn't this pandemic thing get old really fast? So then the living entity is prone to run off, run, run downhill into a, a lower position, falls down no matter what, what he acquires. Krishna says, even if you take the path of karma, you go up to the heavenly planets, you're inclined to fall back down again. And whatever position of liberation you think you've attained, if it doesn't include entering into your relationship with Krishna, then you fall back down again into the material world. So that uh, is because we're tiny and in relationship with the material world, we're susceptible to its domination. It's a, a real bear to get out of the material modes of nature unless one surrenders to Krishna. So in this verse, we're finding out uh, Krishna's uh, position. Is that he's very close to us. The Lord is far away, he's very near as well. He's within everything and yet he's outside of everything. And it, as I began, we may be walking around thinking of the material energy and, and my uh, aspirations to rearrange it so that I can be comfortable which is my preoccupation, birth after birth. A beaver, you put them in your house. If you, if you make a beaver your pet and bring it in a house, it's going to start pulling your pillows off the couch and trying to build a dam somewhere in your house. They can't help it. I've seen it. Beavers don't make great pets. They'll tear your house up. Don't do it. Um, all kinds of animals, because they don't have... A window of opportunity like us humans are forced by their nature to act in a certain way but we have a tiny 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 bit of opportunity to exercise our independence from the material nature and therefore krishna is giving us this information that i never left you i'm right by your side i'm there ready to to assist you in your escape from the material nature. He also mentions his presence in the 18th chapter, 61st verse, 61st verse, 61st. Please speak, please speak English, sir. Ishvara sarva bhutanam ramayan sarva bhutani yantra rujani maya. Krishna says that I'm the Ishvara and I'm accompanying the living entity and in the heart no matter where the living entity goes from one body to the next always there present so what's the problem problem is that i've turned my face away from krishna i i'm facing in the opposite direction bhayam dvitiya abhinibesha tasyad ishad krishna apetasya wrong direction 
apetasya, viparya yosmiti, and therefore I get a wrong mentality. I forget what my real interest is, and my smriti, my attitude, my remembrance, everything is affected by the material modes of nature, and I've forgotten. So the solution is that I have to turn back towards Krishna, who's right there next to me. He's the closest person to me, always in the heart. And proportionately, Krishna reveals himself to those who turn their attention towards him. Simple process. May not be easy, but it's simple. Bhayam dvitiya binibesha tasyat ishat apetasya viparya yosmiti tanmaya tan tan yesham gurudevatatma. You can do that by accepting Krishna, hearing about him, accept, accepting him as your life and soul, also approaching the external manifestations of Krishna in this world, the, the guru, gurun isha bhaktan. Kaviraj Goswami offers obeisances to the principle of guru and to, and to the specific guru, the akanda guru. The, the, the guru is a person and also a principle. That pr principle appears in the person. And Uddhava says, Naivo payancha patitin kavayastavesha brahma yushapi kirtam ridha mudasmaranta yontar bahis tanubritam ashuban vadunban that I'm so grateful to you, Krishna, because you appear not only as the Paramatma, right next to me, Acharya Chaitya Pusha, Swagatim Vyanakti, and also you appear as the Acharya to show me your path. The Acharya has to show Krishna's path, can't show some other path otherwise. Uh, it's not an Acharya. Uh, the Acharya is a representative of Krishna who speaks Bhagavad Gita as it is. And just said, this is who Krishna is, this is who you are, that's your position. And from that, we can awaken to our relationship. That's the most important thing we have, is our relationship with Krishna, who is within our heart. So then Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Ye yata mam prapadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaham, mamavartmaravartante manusha partasarvasha, Everyone follows my path in all respects, O Arjuna. And for those who surrendered unto me, I reward them accordingly. So Prabhupada mentioned that in the purport, that it's in, it's in our interest to surrender to Krishna. And then we become aware of Krishna and we enter into the process of buddhi yoga, of following Krishna's instruction from within and without. Uh, from that, uh, he reveals himself in uh, ever-increasing degree. Like, Atashi Krishna Nabadi Nabaved Grayam Indriye Sevamukihi Jivado Svayameva If you serve Krishna with your tongue, then he'll be pleased to present himself before you. So, Krishna's there, he's in the heart, and now um, his characteristics are being mentioned in the verse, he's uh, bhokta, upadrashta, he's the overseer. So he's overseeing all our activities, not just in this life, but in every single life. He knows where we've been, he knows what we've been up to, 
and he's aware of our desires completely. And he's the only one that's fulfilling them ultimately. And even as this whole material nature is comes is, is wound up, it has a ending point and it goes back into Mahavishnu in its unmanifest, it becomes unmanifest. And all the forms that we see here, all the trees and animals and the metals in the cars and the buildings and the, the names of people on their desks, all that stuff, it's, it becomes again uh, neutralized and it stays inside Mahavishnu along with the living entities who are in Susupti or deep sleep. But then when Mahavishnu breathes out again, Then the we, the living entities, come right back out of Mahavishnu with his exhalation. And at that time, Then Krishna reminds us, this is what you wanted to be last time. You wanted to be a barber and you were going to beauty school. So take it up again. Of whatever the desire of the living entity was, it's, it's perfectly recorded. So the Krishna consciousness process, bhakti yoga, means to change our desire and remember Krishna and remember our relationship with Krishna. And as we do, then rather than being focused on our desires and our manipulation of the material world to try to get something out of it for us, we become focused on how to serve Krishna. And from that, we actually start to understand more about Krishna because he reveals himself. As a living entity develops this sentiment of love towards Krishna, I'm going to serve Krishna rather than my own interest. Actually, our, our own interest is serving Krishna, but I've, I've mixed that up. So devotional service means to become rectified of that misconception and then then krishna uh, reveals himself to his devotees i saw a sweet name of krishna today i wrote it down in my little book and it's his name is uh, gopavasi he who resides in secret <laughs> gopavasi the other name is guptavasi he's, he's a guptavasi he, he remains hidden unless he wants to show himself. Uh, he doesn't reveal himself just because you've got a fancy dhoti or because you uh, sing nicely or you can give a really nice lecture or anything like that, or if you're highly learned. But if he wants to, because he feels that you're sincere, and that you're trying to love him. Then he starts to reveal himself in different ways. So let me tell you where I got the name Gopdavasi. I was reading in the Chaitanya Bhagavat. And there's a story about how 
Of course, I'll go back a little earlier. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared in the world, he's Krishna himself, and he came for various reasons. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He has his own reasons for everything he does. It's his own pleasure. And that is the reason to increase his own pleasure. He's the supreme enjoyer. And so he comes to this world for several reasons, but the main reason is to experience for himself the love that his chief devotee in the spiritual world, Radharani, has for him. Because it's not that she's just uh, enjoying a little bit, but she enjoys 10 million times more than he does. <laughs> So he said, that's not right. I'm the supreme enjoyer. So I'm going to take the position of Radharani and I'll come to this world. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the, the most recent avatar of Krishna, came to the world on a schedule that is usually filled by what's called the Yuga avatar. In every Yuga, there's time periods during which uh, Krishna, God, appears in the world specifically to give humans a method so that they can go back to Godhead. They can go back home. So that was the time for the Yuga Avatar to appear. So Krishna took that opportunity to come to the Earth planet to distribute that Yuga Dharma and fulfill his own purposes. So when Krishna comes, in various forms, he doesn't always reveal himself immediately. So in the same way, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came, he covered himself. He's called the Chana Avatar anyway, because he's acting as a devotee. He doesn't want to show overtly that he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There are various reasons for that we can go into later. So when he's a, when, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a child, his name is Nimai Pandit. He's the most attractive. When people see him walking through town, they can't help but stop their cars, get out and look and say, who was that? If they're walking down the street looking at their cell phones, they would, they would stop looking at their cell phones and they would look up and they would say, there's an Emi Pandit. Did, did Cupid just manifest in this form? I mean, you can imagine how beautiful the form of God is. When he comes, every aspect of his body uh, is irresistible. But then if you add to his opulence that he was the most learned person when he was a child and he went to school, he learned everything within a couple days. Don't you love kids like that? They just look at it. They go, yeah, I got it. And then they have it better than their teacher. And he was so learned that he could go around challenging older students which was his sport and just humiliating them. So he was so beautiful. He was so learned and he was very cocky and naughty also. So you can imagine how everyone wanted to be around him. You know, kids would follow him everywhere. They want to be part of his group. And then when he started teaching as a young man, younger than other teachers, everyone wanted to be in his class and nobody knew that he was actually Krishna. He kept himself covered. But the Vaishnavas noticed how learned he was, how beautiful he was, and they were lamenting that, I mean, he's so good. We're, we're just sad that he's not a devotee. 
And one day when he challenged one of his devotees, the devotee said, yeah, well, if you were just a devotee, you know, you'd be something. All this learning you have is actually not worth anything. But later, a little later, Nimai Pandit took initiation from his guru and then came back. That was in Gaya. Came back to Navadweep and started showing himself to his devotees as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then one day at Srivasa's house, he came in with Lord Nityananda, and as he used to do sometimes around his most intimate devotees, he would sit down on the throne, which was designated for Lord Vishnu. But in other times, he pretended that he didn't know what he was doing. Because oftentimes, he, uh, in his Leela, pretended to be, or was, disoriented to the world because he was internally looking for Krishna and absorbed in, in love for Krishna. But on this particular day, he came in and sat down on the throne of Vishnu and all the devotees that were there realized that this was different. He was in a different mood and now he was showing himself as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then he said, you can sing that bathing song. And he rolled his head. And the devotees could understand that he wants us to do Abhishek. Now, you do Abhishek for the deity. So he's sitting on the throne and he's admitting, yes, I am the deity. <laughs> and the devotees then went to get Ganga water and they mixed it with some camphor and some sandalwood. Aguru. It's one other ingredient. It's got, called Chatushana, a, a beautiful scented water for doing the Abhishek. And they all became very excited because they'd never seen Mahaprabhu show himself as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He, he had always been hidden or partially hidden. But now he was outright showing himself as God sitting on Narayan's throne, Gora Narayan, straight from Vaikuntha, to give benedictions to everybody. So in that time, he spent 21 hours sitting on that throne, and the devotees felt as if they had been transported to the spiritual world. And they all bathed the Lord with not just hundreds, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of pots of Ganga water. And also, whenever devotee would come forward, Mahaprabhu would demand, give me something to eat. And whatever they gave him, he would immediately consume. If they gave him a huge a bunch of bananas, he would eat them all immediately. If they brought them, him pots of milk, even hundreds of pots of milk, he would just drink it immediately. Any, any food offering they brought him, he would immediately consume. This is the power of the Supreme Personality of God, and he can accept everyone's offerings. We find here in this world, you give someone a gift and they're like, no, no, no I can't take it. It's hard for people to give and take in this world. But Krishna can take everything. He can take the whole universe and he can consume it. That's why he's good for us in a, in a relationship, because we're givers. 
And he's the only one can completely take and knows what to do with it. Other people, they get all confused. Our relationships get all messed up. You give it's like, ah, uh, you know, now I don't know what my relationship like. Krishna is just straightforward. Bhoktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshwaram suryanam sarvabhutanam gyatpamam shantam richit. Don't you love when people are straightforward? He just says, I'm the enjoyer. You give me anything, any amount of food, all your money, whatever you want. And, and it's good for you. That's what we need. We need straightforwardness and somebody who can actually digest it all. So Krishna can take that. So Mahaprabhu is showing that feature. And all the food, everything was coming. He was just taking it, taking all the worship straightforwardly right on the altar with the tens of thousands of pots of Ganga water they were pouring on his head. And they were singing Purusha Sukta prayers. And then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started to call his various devotees. He knows who's a devotee. For instance, even in the bathing pastime, he saw the maidservant of Srivas Pandit, normally very reticent figure in the household. Servants generally don't come forward. When there's an assemblage, they don't come forward and push, push into the group and say, hey, hey, can I listen in too? They always stay at the back. They're outside, maybe come in just to help out. But in this case, Mahaprabhu saw Duki, the maidservant on the periphery, and he knew her surface. He noticed it right away and he said, Duki? He asked her name. Srivas told. And then he said, your name is Suki. Change your name. That's a big deal to get a name from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But he notices. And then he started calling devotees from all over Navadvi. He called his devotee Gangadas. And Gangadas came in. Can you imagine when the devotees who weren't in on the early part of this pastime, they walk into Srivasa's house and there's Mahaprabhu surrounded uh, with you know prayers and everyone's offering. Before. No one's seen that before to this extent. So Gangadas came in and Mahaprabhu said, Gangadas, do you remember the time? You were running away from the Muslim king with your family. You were being pursued. You got to the bank of the Ganga. And there at the bank of the Ganga, it was nighttime. The boats had, boatmen had all gone home. And just behind you, by about a half a mile, there were, there were people coming after you. They were going to molest you and your family right in front of, you, of, of your eyes, right there in the town in the middle of the night. What a horrible feeling. And there appeared on the Ganga at that time, just before he thought of throwing his whole family in the Ganga and drowning rather than being molested. A boatman showed up out of nowhere and he said, Sir, I give you my heart and soul. I surrender my life to you. Please take me across this river. And the boatman said, Please get in. Mahaprabhu said to Ganga, do you remember? You gave me a couple of rupees and you surrendered your life to me to take you across the river. That was me. I was the boatman who showed up at that time. And Gangadas, hearing this from the lips of Mahaprabhu sitting there in this throne of Vishnu, with all the devotees around him offering prayers, he fell to the ground weeping. 
I mean, when we actually understand that Krishna knows us, we no longer have to play this role, faking everybody out, then I'm okay. And everyone would say, how are you doing? It's like, I'm all right. It's like, I'm not really all right. <laughs> I'm totally messed up. <laughs> I'm so messed up. I don't even know who I am. I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I came from. I don't know how to negotiate this material energy. It's so hard, Krishna says, just surrender unto me. And for those devotees who do, they hear that message and they say, okay, yeah, Krishna, I just surrender. Then Krishna, he says, he said to Ganga, he said, I took you across the Ganga and to the spiritual world. And one by one, the devotees came in and he knew their intimate pasts. He knew all about what happened to them at various times and revealed that I was there. I was there. I was the one who helped you. And so to the degree that we understand Krishna's presence and we act in a way to please him, to that degree, we become happy and advanced. Here in the Srimad Bhagavatam, fourth canto, it's 4.28.64. Let's just look at that. It's a very moving verse and it, it matches the topic we're on today about the Lord and the heart and the way that he's always there for us. Evam so mana so hung so hung sena pratibodita so stas tud in this way, both swans live together in the heart. When the one swan is instructed by the other, he is situated in his constitutional position. This means he regains his original Krishna consciousness, which was lost because of his material attraction. Purport here it is clearly stated, Hangso, Hangsena Prabodhita. The living the individual soul, rather, and the super soul are both compared to swans, hangsa, because they are white or uncontaminated. One swan, however, is superior and is the instructor of the other. When the inferior swan is separated from the other swan, he is attracted to material enjoyment. This is the cause of his fall down. When he hears the instructions of the other swan, he understands his real position and is again revived to his original consciousness. The Supreme Personality of God at Krishna comes down avatar to deliver his devotees and kill the demons. He also gives his sublime instructions in the form of Bhagavad Gita. The individual soul has to understand his position by the grace of the Lord and the spiritual master because the text of Bhagavad Gita cannot be understood simply by academic qualifications. One has to learn Bhagavad Gita from a realized soul. Tadvidi pranipatina pariprashnen sevaya upadakshantiti jnanam jnaninas tatvadarshunaha. Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master, inquire from him submissively, and render service unto him. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge unto you because he has seen the truth. 
Thus, one has to select a bona fide spiritual master and become enlightened in his original consciousness. In this way, the individual soul can understand that he is always subordinate to the super soul. As soon as he declines to remain subordinate and tries to become an enjoyer, he, becomes, he begins his material conditioning. When he abandons the spirit of being an individual owner and enjoyer, he becomes situated in his liberated state. The word sosta, meaning situated in one's original position, is very significant in this verse. When one gives up his unwanted attitude of superiority, he becomes situated in his original position. The word tad vyabicharina is also significant. For it indicates that when one is separated from God due to disobedience, his real sense is lost. Again, by the grace of Krishna and Guru, he can be properly situated in his liberated position. These verses are spoken by Srila Narada Muni, and his purpose in speaking them is to revive our consciousness. Although the living entity and the super soul are one in quality, the living soul has to pursue the instruction of the super soul. That is a state of liberation. Um So there are ways to tune into the super soul by understanding that, first of all, he's the, as the verse says, the transcendental enjoyer. Uh, in other words, our hands are not really our hands. Take a look at your hands for a second. Those aren't yours. I know it's a shock, but they're not, they're not ours. Those are Krishna's hands. He's loaning them to us. So how we use our hands is devotional service. Sarvopati vanir muktam tat prapena nirmalam hrishikena hrishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchite. Devotional service is the process of using your hands and other senses in the service of the Lord. So you can just judge when you're picking things up and putting them back down again. Take a look at your hands and say, what am I using these for? They're not mine. They're Krishna's. He loaned them to me. Are you using them? <laughs> am I using them to serve Krishna or for something else? If you're using them to serve Krishna, then they'll become purified. You'll become purified and your relationship will reawaken. That's devotional service. It's simple. Misuse of these valuable hands that have been given to me for something else, for my own enjoyment, or is the cause of becoming more entangled in the material world. We also have to be submissive in hearing about Krishna because it's easy to forget our position. So we have to get sambandagyan. We have an eternal relationship with a kinship with Krishna since time immemorial. Not time immemorial, since forever. Uh, there is no such thing as since forever. Forever, we always have a relationship, we always had a relationship, we always ha will have a relationship with Krishna. It's now, we've, I've temporarily forgotten it because of misuse of my free will. 
And this is something to contend with. Every Acharya talks about a fallen condition of living entity. It means I fell. And unless I admit that, then there's no way of getting back up again. And it's sweet surrender to just admit that I'm a fallen soul and that I need help. And then give up my own investment in trying to be the center, to give up my endeavor to be the center. And that can enter even into spiritual life. And in my spiritual practice, then I think, now let me be the center of all this. Even Prabhupada mentions, Prabhupada also mentions that there's a way in which in spiritual practice, someone may become aware of the fact that I'm not my material body, but then start to think that, but actually I'm God. And this is the last stare of Maya. And the so-called liberation is Ariya Krishna Paramparam Tata one falls back down again because of that situation. So we have to point our arrow, the Bhagavatam says, towards Goloka Vrindavan. Wherever you point your arrow, that's where it's going to go. Actually, there's a verse like that. Um, look at 325.29. This is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll take reflections. Questions, I mean, and reflections. The mystic yoga system, as you have explained, aims at the Supreme Personality of Godhead and is meant for completely ending material existence. Is everyone okay? Keep going? Okay. Please let me know the nature of that yoga system. How many ways are there by which one can understand the truth? In truth, that sublime yoga. Purport, there are different kinds of mystic yoga systems aiming for different phases of the absolute truth. The jnana yoga system aims at the impersonal Brahman effulgence. And the hatha yoga system aims at the localized personal aspect, the paramatma feature of the absolute truth. Whereas bhakti yoga or devotional service, which is executed in nine different ways, headed by hearing and chanting, aims at complete realization of the Supreme Lord. There are different methods of self-realization but here Devahuti especially refers to the bhakti yoga system, which has already been primarily explained by the Lord. The different parts of the bhakti yoga system are hearing, chanting, remembering, offering prayers, worshiping the Lord in the temple, accepting service to him, carrying out his orders, making friendship with him, and ultimately surrendering everything for the service of the Lord. The word nirvanatam, nirvanatam, sorry, nirvanatman, is very significant in this verse. Unless one accepts the process of devotional service, one cannot end the continuation of material existence. As far as jnanis are concerned, they are interested in jnana yoga. But even if one elevates oneself after a great performance of austerity to the Brahman effulgence, there is a chance of falling down again to the material world. Therefore, jnana yoga does not actually end material existence. Similarly, regarding the hatha yoga system, 
which aims at the localized aspect of the Lord, Paramatma, it has been experienced that many yogis such as Vishamrita fall down. But bhakti yogis, once approaching the Supreme Personality of Godhead, never come back to this material world as is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita. Yadgatvananivartante, upon going, one never comes back. After giving up this body, he never comes back again to accept a material body. Nirvana does not finish the existence of the soul. The soul is ever existing. Therefore, nirvana means to end one's material body. Nirvana does not finish the existence of the soul. The soul is ever existing. Therefore, nirvana means to end one's material existence and to end material existence means to go back home, back to Godhead. Sometimes it is asked how the living entity falls down from the spiritual world to the material world. Here's the answer. Unless one is elevated to the Vaikuntha planets directly in touch with the Supreme Personality of God, and he is prone to fall down either from the impersonal Brahman realization or from an ecstatic trance of meditation. Another word in this verse, Bhagavat Bana, is very significant. Bana means arrow. The Bhakti Yoga system is just like an arrow aiming up to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Bhakti Yoga system never urges one toward the impersonal Brahman effulgence or to the point of Paramatma realization. This bana or arrow is so sharp and swift that it goes directly to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, penetrating the regions of impersonal Brahman and localized Paramatma. And we have Deva Vrata Prabhu to lead us off. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. I had a few I had a few reflections from the class. My first reflection is I was thinking about this point of co cooperating with the Lord and I was appreciating how on Sankirtan sometimes Krishna reveals some things in relationship to this and I remember about probably like nine months ago I was in Utah and uh, there was this mother walking with three children and uh, Two of the children were well-behaved. They were on her left side. And one of the child was, was not well-behaved. And she was holding him. And the more, you know, uh, the more misbehaved he became, the tighter her grip became on him. And it was the more difficult it was for him to get away. But then the two little kids next to her, they were just walking freely and they were holding her hand. So, you know, the same mother, she has the same affection for her children she's a mother but one is acting in a particular way she has to relate with him in a particular way and the other two they're cooperating so she can relate with them in a particular way so i was appreciating that point and then my other reflection was uh how in brihad bhagavatam rita how gopal kumar you know he didn't really know where he was going but he was given a system of sadhana that knew where it was going. And so I was just appreciating how you always mentioned the verse Mahat Kratena and how, you know, Prabhupada in the previous Acharyas, they have a process and they know where we're going. And sometimes we may not necessarily know completely where it is we're going, but through the principle of Sri Guru and then the principle of Sri Guru manifesting himself through the principle, through the person Guru, that goal becomes clearer and clearer over time, even if we don't necessarily know where we're going to begin with. Just like Gopal Kumar. Those are my reflections. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. Yeah, thank you, Deva Vata Prabhu. Uh, I like your reflections. Partly, 
it gives this principle of buddhi yoga. When one is hearing and chanting and moving about the world, then one starts to see before one's eyes everything as an instruction from Krishna, everything. And so there's a way in which seeing the, the mother with the child is like, oh yeah, that's my relationship with Krishna. And one sees uh, you know, water running, one hears, oh yeah, that's like a sadhu, it's purifying my existence and also sounds very nice too. And this is, this is buddhi yoga and this is what it comes from this. And the verse, uh, that you referred to it's from the 10th canto, as you know well. I'm just reciting it. Um, that the, the demigods praying to Krishna within the womb say that uh, the, the, the perfection of life is being in... Uh, full concentration on you, Krishna. You're the Dham. You're the source of, of all spiritual uh, knowledge, auspiciousness. Everything, you're focused in that direction. Samadina, in Samadhi. Samadina veshita cheta saike. With one pointed cheta, your consciousness. Cheta saike, eka. The eight cheta, one position. And then he says uh, that uh, you can get the, as you said, the protection from the material nature from the mahat, from the great souls. Mahatkritena, and you watch their activities and take their instructions, and it's like boarding a boat. Govatsa, kurvanti govatsa padam babadin, and then you can step over the material world very easily, the way you step over the hoofprint of a calf. Thank you very much. Okay, there's some on the board here. Let's see what we got. The first one is. Um, because Maya is a hurdle blocking my way to go to Krishna, she is strong and distracting me continuously. The why Krishna, uh, so why is Krishna, the why Krishna being powerful taking away Maya's influence from my path so I can go home, so that I could reach my true home to Krishna? She is strong and distracting me continuously. Maybe the question wasn't uh, written properly. Oh, why did Krishna allow me to? I, I don't understand the question. You can retype it because it's, there's a mistake in it. Distracting me continuously, the why Krishna being powerful, taking away Maya's influence. Try to re rewrite that, please, whoever wrote it. The next question, uh, the mind has the functions of thinking, feeling, and willing. So the desire desires a living entity has, are they originated from the mind or from the soul, the living entity? Nothing comes from the mind. It's like a stained glass window. You have to shine a light into it for it to come, come to life. So the mind um, doesn't have desires, the, the soul does. And there's a process described in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam through which 
the, the various desires of the living entity, which uh, percolate up through the various energy centers, the chakras in the body come up higher and higher until they manifest in the speech of the living entity. And then we create through our speech. But it's coming from the soul. The soul is what as who desires. There's no, no desire in the material body. Take the soul out and the body doesn't care if you kick it around. Probably said <laughs> after the soul leaves the body, you can kick on its face and they won't protest. Nobody minds. So it's not from the body. Uh, then comes the next question. Could you please elaborate on guru is a person as well as a principle? Yes. So the principle is that the, there's a guru tattva. The source of that is, or the, the manifester of that tattva is Lord Nityananda. And the principle is that that he manifests is that in order to approach Krishna, one has to reform oneself by receiving the instruction of the guru and also engaging in service. And whoever is empowered by uh, Lord Nityananda to perform that service of guru is also can be a person just like your post person that comes and delivers a letter you may notice that he or she drives in a u.s postal truck and wears a u.s postal uniform and you might even recognize the person i know where you live but because the person is employed by the government and is delivering the mail the person's a federal employee and therefore has a a, a specific is an empowered person in that service. So a guru is a person who carries the principle of guru tattva, which comes from Lord Nityananda. Uh, we require cultivation. Lord Balaram is the cultivator. He enters within the womb of Devaki before Krishna comes there. After the Shadgarbha Asuras are there, he comes in. And he's always paving the way for the living entity to come back to Krishna. So the guru is following that principle, following Lord Nityananda. And so both person and uh, it's individual. You can't just say, well, it's a principle. Uh, I'll just read it in a book. You also have to have uh, a relationship. So an example or an analogy that can be helpful in that way is about telescopes. Have you ever seen those gigantic telescopes observatories have? You have to go up and inside on, a la on the staircase and look through it. The actual lens, final lens of the telescope is enormous. It's as big as a car, but the end you look in is tiny. It's like this big, it fits your eye. But if you get up there on the ladder and then you say, no, no, uh, show me the big end. You won't see anything. But the personalized guru who's representing the Guru Tattva comes to us in a way that we can see. 
who accommodates us and where we live. <laughs> it fits our perspective right now and can help us see the big picture and actually understand Krishna. The guru is like a lens actually, that's fitted for our eye. Guru doesn't uh, do anything except for reveal what Krishna is. That's the, 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 the principle of guru, the one who reveals Krishna. The next question is, why did Krishna allow me to come to even compete when I expressed an urge to live independently. He knew once I fall down, I would take multiple births, I would be entangled. Why he allowed me to use my free will? That's a contradictory question. <laughs> Why he allowed me to use my free will. So if he stops you from using your free will, then you don't have free will. And the reason we have free will is because if you don't have free will, you can't make it a free choice to love Krishna. He doesn't want love that's, there is no such thing as love unless you have free will to choose. It's kind of exciting, actually. It's kind of exhilarating that, to, you know, to, to realize the fact that I actually have free will. It's a major breakthrough in any a psychological uh, treatment when somebody, you'll notice people, like sometimes celebrities, they'll have a big fall down or something like that in public. And then they go, they start going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And actually, psychologist does psychotherapy. Psych psychiatrists often prescribe drugs. They're also medical doctors. But the fact is that through psychotherapy, most psychotherapists, they'll talk to a patient. And one of the principles is they'll get him or her to admit that I'm the one who did this. It came from me. I'm a top, I'm a top of flow chart. I'm the one it's, it's coming from me, all these problems I created for myself. And this is an important principle. Brahma says, if you can come to this position of admitting that I have free will and it's my, whatever I did, I caused myself, then you can, um, you're eligible to go back home, back to Godhead. So Krishna's uh, will isn't that we reject him or go away. And if he knows it's gonna happen, why does he allow us to do that? Because if he didn't, then we wouldn't have free will. And also we wouldn't learn, we wouldn't learn the lesson and be able to have the glory. And there is no better pastime as the prayers personified Vedas say, there is no more glorious pastime of the Lord than saving the conditioned soul from the material world who decides I've had enough, I'm coming back. But we definitely can't make advancement if we blame Krishna. And I'm not saying whoever wrote the question is blaming Krishna. I'm just saying in general, everyone blames Krishna. I'm having problems, I'm suffering, therefore it must be God's fault. Well, what about you? You're not a dead stone. You're actually very powerful, you're an agent. Uh, and if you if you can admit uh, that I fell down, which is what all the acharyas say, I'm fallen, I fell, I fell, I fell. Lord Chaitanya, somehow I've fallen into this material existence. Unless we come to that point, then we can't start coming back up again because we can't take shelter of Krishna. So anyway, I answered in the first few sent sentences that He gives us free will so that. 
we can exercise it. And unless he gives us a full facility to exercise it, there's no real free will either. Hey, how about 8,400,000 species? You take your kid to a amusement park and it's like, how many rides are there? Daddy, 8,400,000. Knock yourself out. <laughs> if this doesn't satisfy you, Sonny, nothing will. So, you know, Krishna, he thinks of everything. That's who he is. He thinks of everything. And so for the, for the jiva who wants some separate thing, he says, yeah, you try everything. You know, sometimes people say, well, why would God create such a crazy looking bug? Have you ever seen any bug and you look at it and you go like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That's because we've got all kinds of ways we want to enjoy the material nature. This way, that way, up, down, back fourth, you know, uh, vanilla is not good enough. I have to have, I remember when uh, Baskin Robbins came out when I was a kid. How many flavors is it? I even forget now. I went crazy when I was a kid. 31 flavors. There's probably a million now at some ice cream shop. They created digitally or something, but that was a big deal. And for the living entity, it's like, here's your fool's paradise. You have 8,400,000 species to try out. So don't say that you didn't try, <laughs> that I didn't give you full facility to exercise your free will. Uh, my friend, you keep trying. But meanwhile, he's always giving good advice to the, to the jiva. Uh, he's advising, he's the overseer and permitter. But there's an enter at your own risk sign, clearly, clearly, posted on the outside of the material world. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. I'll go in anyway. You ever done one of those in this lifetime? And you get, you do it anyway. And then you go like, God, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. Well, the Jiva really does get stupid here in the material world. So it's time to get smart again. All right. Uh, next one is Lord Chaitanya had had multiple purpose for incarnating, conspicuously an internal reason. Other incarnations like Lord Nishinghadev descended for specific purpose, events that are more obvious. Question, is there a design method as to when an internal purpose occurs? Example, when Supreme Personality of God Krishna incarnates versus when a different Vishnu Tattva, non-Supreme Personality of Godhead incarnates. Well, even when Nishringadev comes, he's actually coming for his own enjoyment. And at the same time to kill the demon Hirani Kashipu and to exalt his pure devotee, Prahlad Maharaj. There are many more reasons, but those are three right there. It's not that, and Prahlad says this in his prayers to Lord Nishringadev. He says, you come all your incarnations are meant for the ultimate good of, of human society, for all living entities, actually. And so Krishna has his multiple reasons and he accomplishes multiple tasks all at the same time when he comes. We could go down the list of each one of them and the ways that they do that to teach something to human society. And also there, at core, there's also, there's always his own personal enjoyment. And yes, there are some, there is mention in Shastra, obviously, like with the Chaitanya Charnamrita, why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, that's why it's called revealed scriptures, 
because we have some insight into the the mood of the Supreme Personality of God, which is kind of amazing, but it's revealed to us through his devotees who actually know his mood. Okay, then we have, how can we become better at distinguishing between the illusory whisperings of our mind and the counsel of Paramatma? By reading Bhagavad Gita. That's the best way because as, as Prabhupada writes in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, in a purport, he said the Bhagavad says the Bhagavad Gita is the Vedic intelligence. It's the, it's such a, I mean, it's such a perfect book. It's God's intelligence, and He speaks it so we can listen to it again and again. And if you read Bhagavad Gita every single day, read the whole thing, seven hundred verses. Tell your boss you can't come in until you're done. Tell your boss, I'll be a better employee if, if you give me time to read whole Bhagavad Gita every day, then I'll come in, my work will be more concentrated. He'll probably, she'll probably give you the opportunity. Just try it. But the fact is that the words that Krishna speaks in the Bhagavad Gita are the same as what he's saying from within your heart. So you want to match them up. And the only way to match it up is keep hearing Bhagavad Gita over and over again, because then you'll notice that, hey, it's the same voice. He's saying the same thing. And not only that, if you take time to read Shastra like that, then Krishna speaks louder from within your heart. Shrinvatam swakata krishna punya shravana kirtana vidunoti suritsatam. Actually, it may not be that he's speaking loudly, louder, but it, it, that he's removing any of the other clutter that's there that prevents you from hearing what he's saying. But Bhagavad Gita is the answer. That's that's a fact. Hear Bhagavad Gita and every other uh, book too, like Bhagavatam. But especially you have to hear Gita every day. And then, because Maya is a hurdle blocking my way to go to Krishna, she is strong and distracting me continuously. Then why Krishna being powerful is not taking away Maya's influence from my path so I can go back to Godhead? Well, he is. You know, he's giving every opportunity for us, but it's like, let's just say you go to, you fall into a well, and then you're calling a help, 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 and then somebody lowers a rope, and you say, the, the person on top's going like, grab on, and he's like, yeah, well, help me grab on. You, at some point, you have to grab on. <laughs> And take the take what Krishna is handing us, as we're we're not dead stones. It's not that you're just like oh Krishna, uh, take me out of here. And that you also have to do something. When Krishna instructed Arjuna at Kurukshetra, he actually required him to go out and fight the battle in service. And Prabhupada says he didn't tell him you sit down on your chariot and smoke ganja and I'll fight for you. And then I'm almost done with the questions. Uh, two Bhagavad Gita verses talk about meditating in the self and not meditating on super self, soul, next to self. Please help me defend the contradiction with the supreme super soul being separate from the soul. Example, Bhagavad Gita 1325, Janina. 
by meditation, Atmani within the self and Bhagavad Gita 15, 11, Pashanti, Jnana Chakshusa. Well, it's all in the, uh, the verses. Uh, you, you just require a Vaishnav commentary to uh, understand which Atma is being spoken of. Those, as Prabhupada would say, with a poor fund of knowledge or have a uh, bad intention, try to equate the two and say, I was just talking about the Atma or this, the yourself, meditating on yourself. But in the, in the um, sections where Krishna talks about Atma it's, uh, and meditating on the Atma, then generally talking about uh, the supreme atma but if you want let's take a quick look at the verse look at 1325 is everyone okay this is the last one i know it's late some perceive the super soul within themselves through meditation others through the cultivation of knowledge and still others through working without fruit of desires. No issue here. The, as as uh, it's rendered, uh, some perceive the super soul. Dhyanina Atmani within the self. Okay. So by meditating on the self, then you see Atmanam. So if you're already meditating on the self, then it wouldn't have been well, you know, as Prabhupada writes in the Nectar Devotion, mm -hmm. seeing Krishna means seeing yourself too. Just like when you see the sun in the morning as the sun rises, you're also seeing yourself, uh, you're seeing yourself simultaneously because it's revealing yourself. We are part and parcel of Krishna. Mamai Vamsha Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana. So we hear these uh, indications also Upanishadic indications too are talking about the self um, what is the verse I'm thinking about from the Sri Upanishad? Sri Vata what verse do I have in my mind right now please sorry Marsh can you repeat the, the content of the verse the, the self describing the self and the super self like unto the sun, as am I. How's that verse start? For 20 points. For 20 points and the game. Um, it's Push, I think it's Pushan Ekarshe Yamasi. Pushan Ekarshe, okay. Avani got 20 points and the game. Pushan Ekarshe Yamasurya Prajapatya Vyuharashmin Samuha. Tejo yate rupam kalyanatamam tate pushamyo savasau purusha soamasmi. Translation, please. Just read it. Um, the translation is Oh, my Lord, O primeval philosopher, maintainer of the universe, O regulating principle, destination of the pure devotees well-wisher of the progenitors of mankind, please remove the effulgence of your transcendental rays so that I can see your form of bliss. You are the eternal supreme personality of Godhead, like unto the sun, as am I. 
that's a perennial favorite of those who want to like, as under the sun, as am I. So what does that mean? You know, we're part and parcel, the sun and the sun. It's a chinta beta beta tattva. So when you see, you when you see yourself and understand you're being maintained, it's like, who's my maintainer? Or when you meditate on the Supreme Self, then you can understand also that I'm not the Supreme Self, I'm meditating on the Supreme Self or praying to the Supreme Self. Thank you, Maharaj. Om Tat Sat. Everyone who wants to jump in the boat, say, Nitai Goranga. 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 Nitai